All right, let's take our Bibles and turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. That's where we have been in our exposition of God's Word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We've been in 1 Peter chapter 3. What a tremendous song on God's faithfulness that we just sang. <clears throat> to think that we've never been alone, and He never forsakes us. We are in uh, verses 18 and 22, which I've actually expounded to you, but it leads to our message this morning. <clears throat> so let me read it again. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. <clears throat> Excuse me. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, <clears throat> excuse me, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of the dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after, uh, after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we thank you and <clears throat> praise you for the ways we've been able to worship you already. And I thank you for the word of God. And I pray now that it would do its effective work, that our minds, hearts would not be distracted, that the Holy Spirit would have free liberty to teach and instruct and that, Father, you challenge both believer and unbeliever with a message from the Word of God this morning. We thank you for it and pray once again that you'd guide me, that we rightly divided, and uh, we just commit it to you now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, here in our study of First Peter, I have the question this morning, uh, as you saw in the bulletin, Christian baptism, what is it all about? And how did we come to that? Well, as we've been going through our exposition of 1 Peter, and I expounded this passage to you, we saw in the context, and I went through, if, and if uh, this is one of the most challenging passages of Scripture, so if you are not here when I expounded it, I would recommend that you do get the disc, and uh, we didn't hold back on anything. We dealt with everything in the context. But we saw here that, in, again, in the passage of the book and in the chapter, Peter is encouraging believers and we must see this, he is encouraging believers who are facing trials. They are facing persecution. They are facing difficulties. We just sang about scars. We, we face those things if we're living for the Lord in Christ and how they would behave. And in this particular passage, in encouraging the believers to continue on, Petey, interestingly enough, uses two illustrations to them. And the first one we spent time on, and that is Noah. He chose, he could have chosen anybody, but he presented to them the fact that Noah was a visual aid to the world. He was God's visual aid. Noah suffered persecution, and yet we saw he was a preacher of righteousness. And though he might have been mocked, he still built an ark when nobody knew what an ark was. And he appealed to the people, and he was a living testimony to those around him. And it wasn't the water that saved Noah. We saw that last time in his family. It was actually the boat. And the water was what carried them. And so this many 
uh, times misquoted and misinformed passage about salvation through baptism. We explained that to you last time. That's not true. If you just look at the verse, it explains it, where it says it's not to the removal of the dirt of the flesh. Baptism does not save anyone. There is no particular act. It's just the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that last time. However, what leads us to the message this morning was that we also saw that the New Testament example, and this is what Peter's encouraging them with. It was real. The New Testament illustration to the world of what Christ has done is the Christian. It is the believer who has been baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ. The evidence of it is the baptism that has taken place. And so while the Old Testament had Noah as a visual aid, you as a believer today are a visual aid to the world, uh, or should be, to the world of what Jesus Christ has done. And that led to the comment that I made beyond expounding the verses that it really, I felt a real burden in my heart that today we need to understand what this Christian baptism is all about because I think it's been lost. What, what a baptism, what is its significance? And I have a couple of questions for you right away. What is water baptism all about? Think about it. What is it all about? Is it just a Christian tradition? So that when you think of the church, you think of baptism. Is it, for example, simply a ritual that has lost its meaning? Whereby even society today... When they hear the word baptism, when they hear about baptism, they associate that with religion. And it's just this ritual that goes on. Is that what it's all about? Is it something that just belongs to the ancient past? After all, we've been separated by over 2,000 years since the time that the disciples themselves were baptized. And has it lost its significance down through the years? For example... Does the world and do even Christians, quote unquote, or others look at baptism as simply a ritualistic initiation into religion like some other social club? You know, things can get lost as I was traveling around and I mentioned that. And by the way, I greatly appreciated your prayers. We needed it every day. 6,000 miles traveling over the roads in the United States with the, the kids and uh, there were two occasions, and both occasions people were texting while they were driving that we could have been hit. But other than that, uh, the Lord's protection, it was because of your prison. We thank you. But I wanted to get to this. As we traveled, we traveled by battlefields. We traveled by Fort Sumter. We stopped there in that area a little bit to look at that. Uh, and we saw a lot of American history throughout the country. We stopped by the Alamo and, and, and talked about Mexico and how it wouldn't even be part of the United States had not some battles taken place. And I want to tell you something. I believe that today's society has lost sight of American history. And this isn't for an American history lesson. But we forget. We come here to church. We travel around the country. We drive around. And we expect these freedoms. And we have lost the concept over time of the significance of people's blood being shed and people taking stands so that you and I can enjoy this country and enjoy our freedoms. And I think sometimes we 
pass by these things and say, oh, yeah. And when you want to get it into our context, that happens in Christianity. Oh, baptism. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, that the religion churches do that, right? And, and Christians do that, right? It's, it's a baptism thing. And then you're part of a social club with that particular church. We maybe don't think of it that way. But sometimes that can happen. Is that all it is? And, and what has happened over time? Uh, are we really sensitive to what Christian baptism is all about? And let me ask you some more important questions. When the world, <clears throat> excuse me, when the world, by the way, you gave it to me. Because if you remember, the last time I was here, I was struggling to get through the message because I lost my voice. Now his is gone. Now he's giving it back to me again. So I don't know. <clears throat> the attack of the voices here. I couldn't sing the last song because I already was losing my voice. But uh, I have another more important question. When people look at the church, when the world looks at the church, all we do as well, should they see the church as just another social club that's just got these rules and regulations and it just has these activities that they have that initiates people into the church and um, they go to church, they get baptized, they carry around a Bible, they do certain things, and is that the way the world should look at the church? Now you may say, how's this going to tie into baptism? Stay with me. Or, should the world, whether it be in Africa, whether it be in Saudi Arabia, whether it be in Methuen, Massachusetts, should the world be looking at the church and seeing something radically different from them? I believe that they should be seeing the latter. And to understand that, you need to understand what baptism was about. Biblical baptism was a visual aid that made an announcement to the world about lives that were changed, about people that were radically different. How radically different? Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17 <clears throat> and verse 6. I'll just get right to the verse. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities shouting. And here's what they were shouting. These men who have upset the world have come here also. What was the reputation that Christians had? They were turning the world upside down. They had affected the world, and they were just looking to beat up somebody. They couldn't get who they wanted, so they took on Jason. But I want you to see that the believers were known for something, and their lives changed the world. And in our context, if you remember, going back to 1 Peter, it says the corresponding thing to Noah's testimony in the Old Testament were those who were baptized. 
And it is an appeal to it, a good conscience. It had something, and he's reminding these people that your baptism was something that made an announcement. Now, we've been separated, as I said, by over 2,000 years from the apostles. The cultures have changed. And we need to understand some things when we talk about baptism. First of all, let me mention this. The scriptures talk about different types of baptism, of which that's not the purpose of this message. There's spirit baptism. There's water baptism. It speaks of baptism by fire in scripture. And our concentration wants to be this morning on water baptism because, as I showed you in the exposition of the passage a few weeks ago, it is dealing with water baptism here. But there are different types of water baptisms. There is the baptism of John the Baptist by John the Baptist, is the baptism of Jesus, and there is Christian baptism. And why would he bring up in this context of their suffering to recall that their baptism to them? I want to tell you why. Let's take a look. Let's look at the institution of baptism to begin with. Let's look at the institution of it. Go back with me to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. Why? I hope that it's going to change our view of the concept of baptism. Well, I guess I just need to be a member of the church, so I need to get baptized. I need to do this to become a member of that club. Not really. In Matthew chapter 28, probably one of the most quoted passages of Scripture many, 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 many times referred to as the Great Commission is where we find its institution. Where? Chapter 28, beginning of verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, the main point or the main verb here is to do what? Everybody knows that. We've been taught. Make disciples. They were to go forth. The apostles were to go forth. And they were to make disciples. Who are these disciples going to be? A disciple, a follower of Christ. Ones that were going to be left here while Christ returns. And then after the disciples are gone, that is, the apostles are gone, other disciples will be here to carry on the work. Not just Sherry and her work, but you and I who have been called to Christ, are to be disciples, who are to be followers of Christ. And I want you to notice that in the process of that, he says with three participles, my concentration is on the first one. He says that they are to make disciples of all nations. First thing, first participle, is what? Baptizing them. It is the means of. It is the direction. That participle indicates that to be a disciple meant you were baptized. To be a disciple of Christ, you know, let me just start right here. Too often today, I hear and have heard over the years of my ministry, well, uh, I'm not so sure about baptism. Our people wait years to be baptized. The New Testament knows nothing of that. Nothing. If you're a disciple of Christ, you get baptized. End of discussion. If you're fearful of the, the, the concept of being baptized, you better take a deep look to see if you're a disciple. Because there is no such thing as a disciple of Christ who won't be baptized. 
That's a challenge right there. What happened was to be a disciple meant that you were baptized. That is how they identified. And you notice that was the purpose of the baptism. It was identification with the Trinity. Look at it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It was identification. It was a relationship. It was now one that I have that I didn't have before. So Christian baptism is everything about a relationship now that I have that I didn't have. That'll set the tone. I want you to notice a couple of things. Number one, there is no concept of an unbaptized disciple of Christ. No concept in the New Testament of that. And so to think I could be a silent disciple without baptism was unheard of. Christ didn't say that at all. Second thing I want you to note there in that passage, as Christ institutes it by telling them to make disciples, and how do you do that? Go and baptize, and there's the other aspects to teaching. I'm concentrating on the baptism. They didn't need any explanation. Isn't that interesting? Christ did not have to go and expound what it meant to baptize and to give details or reasons why people had to be baptized. So we might ask that question. Then why do they not need some explanations? Let me try to help you a little bit. And so you can understand Christian baptism and the significance of it. What did go on during that time was, first of all, proselyte baptisms. They were not unfamiliar to the Jewish community at the time. And what was a proselyte baptism? Well, if you don't know, it was primarily Gentiles. And they were basically... Gentiles who were following the world and they heard about the God of Judaism and then they would be proselytized and baptized into that faith. What did it mean? Catch this. Here's what it meant. For somebody to follow a proselyte baptism meant that I am breaking from my past life. What was that? Paganism. I was breaking from a life that was involved in idolatry and paganism, and they knew it. And I was committing a life and identifying with the life of the God of Israel. There was no question. When a baptism took place, that that proselyte was announcing to the world publicly that they were forsaking the past and following the God of Israel. Baptism was a symbol even for the proselyte, of a new life. What about that of John the Baptist? Go to Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 3. The baptisms of John the Baptist. Go to chapter 3. Now he's talking to Jews here. But this helps you to understand why Jesus didn't need to explain anything. In John chapter, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now in the days of John the Baptist, uh, <clears throat> in, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah and saying, watch, repent, have a change of direction. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to Isaiah, by Isaiah the prophet, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair, and a leather belt around the waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then in Jerusalem was going out to him 
all in all Judea and all watch this the district around the Jordan and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins verse 7 but he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism and said to them you brood of vipers who wants you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that from, those, from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. What do you have here in this scene? You have the baptism performed by John the Baptist. But I want you to catch this. He was calling for a radical change of those that were involved in Judaism. See, a proselyte understood, I have changed. I have been changed. I am no longer following paganism. I'm following Judaism. When a Jew came to this, they understood, yes, I have the scriptures. Yes, I might be of the line of Abraham or whatever, but I am crying out in a changed life. I am repenting of my sins, and it is a radical change that is taking place and John the Baptist understood that. So when he looked at the leaders, he said, you are phonies. Don't just come for ritual change. It means nothing. It's got to be real. It's got to be real or don't come at all. You're coming thinking because of your connection with Abraham. These Jewish leaders weren't coming like the people. The people were crying out, repenting of their sin, and they wanted to be identified and understand this. Many of them would be cast out of their own homes and considered dead. Many of them would lose their jobs or be cast out of the synagogues because they had a changed life. And this life was to follow after the true Messiah, who John the Baptist said was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And their baptism was very significant. It was public, and it was an announcement that this life is a new life that's real. And when you see that, they turned away. They weren't turning away from Judaism, per se, but the symbol of baptism, again, had a new life. What is the implication? It is a new life in Christ. And when you come to Christian baptism, which is not exactly the one of John the Baptist, it's the one that the Lord's announcing in Matthew chapter 28. In order to make a disciple, you baptize them. Why? Did the water save them? No, we saw that last time. No. It didn't cleanse the flesh. But what it did do was announce to the world a new life. Go with me to the text that I read this morning. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. You see, people understood the grace of God as Paul expounds the grace of God to them in Romans as this. He just said in chapter 5, where sin abounded, grace did abound much more. And so the thinking was, Wow, look at all the sin and look at all the grace of God. He's forgiven me. The answer is yes, if you've come to Christ. And Paul knew, the Holy Spirit knew, and that's why he recorded it, that the thinking would have been, great, I'm saved. Now I can go do anything I want. I've had that question put to me as a pastor many times. You mean to say that anyone can live any way they want? 
What does chapter 6 say? May it never be. Why? Because there's a radical change that should have taken place. You have come to Christ. It doesn't mean you can live a life of sin. It's just the opposite. And baptism was the symbol of that. And when you look at chapter 6, beginning in verse, let me pick it up in verse 2. May it never be. How shall we who die to sin live in it? Uh, still live in it. Or do you not know, watch this, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? When we were placed into the body, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, when we were placed into the body of Christ, we became a new creation. Our former life was past. And baptism is the symbol of that. Baptism is the announcement to the world that it is a radical change that has taken place. Watch. And he says, therefore we have been buried with him that through baptism into his death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might watch. Walk how? How? In newness of life. The whole concept of the baptism is a symbol, if you will, and that's why immersion, I think, is the correct way to do it, where you've been identifying to the world that you're buried with him in baptism and you're rising to a new life in Christ. You see, I believe that today, sometimes even Christians, and even those who think about Christianity, simply look at baptism as some symbol. Oh, they got baptized. Oh, they're a member of the church. They understood in that century under persecution. When I stand to be baptized, I am identifying with Christ. I am identifying with a new life. The old is past. All things have become new. And if you don't think so, as he goes on and talks about it there, watch. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin has been done away with. And I am no longer a slave to sin. What are we to do? We are to live unto Christ, verse 11. So consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive unto God in Jesus Christ. Salvation, that's what it is. It is death to my sin because Christ paid the penalty and price for me and I am alive unto God. I was not anymore before. I am now. And then it talks about our instruments of our body. Your members of your instruments are to be instruments of righteousness to God, verse 13. And sin is no longer to have master over you. And so when it came to even the concept of baptism, and he's talking about it in 1 Peter chapter 3, that's why he's reminding them, and he's announcing that to them, that what it's talking about is a clear conscience toward God. And what should happen with baptism today, Christian baptism, it should be an absolute announcement. That doesn't save you, but it's an announcement that my life has been radically changed, and I am following Christ. And you can't be a disciple of Christ if you're not following Christ. There was no concept of I trust in Christ and I add him to my list and I go my way and do what I want. Christ is Lord of your life. It is a radical change. And I personally believe that baptism today has lost its significance. 
When people got baptized, you notice even with John's baptism, there was no hiding. It was done in public in the Jordan. When it came time for Christian baptism, what happened? They stopped and they baptized people right away. The apostles, they were involved in it right away. There was a confession of faith and it was followed immediately by baptism. Why? That was an announcement. There was no hiding. That was a visual announcement that I have committed my life to Christ. I belong to him and to be held accountable by other people. And they radically changed the world upside down because now they were living for Christ. Today, even in this church, we announce baptism classes. We only have them so often. People make profession of faith. And sometimes it's a long time before they get baptized. Well, I'm nervous of the water. I'm nervous of going down. I'm nervous of this. Are you truly a disciple of Christ? The first thing you should want to do is obedience to baptism. In fact, let me give you something radical. I think I've said this one other time from the pulpit. I wonder if when we have baptism, we shouldn't require those being baptized to send a letter of invitation to every member of their family and everybody that they work with. You really want to get <clears throat> down to the living the way these disciples were? Don't hide it from anybody. Let people know at work. Let your family know. Well, think about this. When you were baptized, did you invite your family? Say, no, they live far away. Did they know you were being baptized because your life was changed? That was the significance. It wasn't an adding to a club. It wasn't a church membership. It was an announcement to the world that Christ saved me, and I am a disciple of Christ now. He owns my life. I am committed to live for him. You don't think that was true? Let me give you a picture of the radical change. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. So what am I saying? First of all, when I talk about Christian baptism, what's it all about? It's not that the baptism saves you. It's because Christ saved you and you're a disciple of Christ, that baptism is ordinary and should happen. There is no such thing as a disciple that doesn't get baptized. Secondly, it's a new life. It's an announcement to the world. And that's the significance. Today, I don't know whether it's because we're separated from persecution. Because you go to some countries, and when they get baptized, and they make their announcement, talk about Muslims. When they make an announcement, some of them will go out to kill them. Their life is now in jeopardy. They've announced it. I've accepted Jesus Christ. He's my Messiah. New life. I'm following him. And they will lose their lives. And there's places in the world that that's happening today. United States of America, we get comfortable. I, 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 yeah, I, I want to raise my hand. I want to come forward. What about being baptized? I don't know. I can do that. What about reading your Bible? Oh, that's, we don't go too far. That's not Christianity. That's some of concepts of Christianity, but it's not what it's about. Christian baptism should be the outward symbol, and that's why Peter uses it. Peter says, you are a testimony. Continue on in the persecution. Continue on when things get tough. When they get tough at home, when they get tough on the job, when they get difficult, when you get laughed at, when you get mocked, so what? You've committed yourself to Christ, and the evidence was when you got baptized. And it changed the world. And Acts chapter 2 is where I've got you. Look at verse 37. 
Beginning in verse 37. When they heard this, they were pricked to the heart, or pierced to the heart, and said to Peter, and I purposely went to this one because they're talking to Peter, and Peter's the one that's being used of God to write the epistle we're studying. And to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, number one, repent. Have a change. Come to salvation. And each one of you, what does he say? Be baptized. He didn't say, you know, wait a couple of weeks. And you know what? The other side of the coin is this. I'm not done with this passage in Acts chapter 2. The other side of the coin is sometimes services. I know my brother-in-law, one of my brother-in-laws, still not saved to my knowledge. I've witnessed to him. But uh, he was a professional ball player. And he and his wife went into a Baptist church. And they came into the church. People raised their hand. They came forward. He was, he was really upset because they had a long, long invitation. Kept waiting until people would come forward. Then they took him up. They baptized him and everything else. And you might say, well, that's what they needed to do. That's also ritualistic. Because people are just raising their hand, getting baptized sometimes, and they don't understand what it's all about. You see, you can have an extreme where somebody doesn't get baptized, or the other extreme where I guess I'm supposed to do it, and they have no concept of what they're doing. When you came to Christ, it changed their life. Watch. He says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and your children. I'm in Acts chapter 2. And for all that are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, see, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. It was a call to salvation. So then, those who received this word were baptized. They received it. They believed it. And then what happened? They were baptized. That day were added to the church about 3,000 souls. And watch the radical change. Verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The church so fast today is doing away with the word of God. They want more entertainment and less of the word of God. I spoke with somebody recently that visited a church and their exact words to me were, I love the music. And my first comment to them was, what about the word? If they ain't preaching the word, they ain't doing their job. We need the word of God. And the first thing that happened was they realized, I have a radical change in my life and I need the word of God. Why? Because I need to know how to handle and deal with my children godly. I need to know how to love my spouse, to submit to my spouse. I need to know how to behave. Isn't that what we've learned in 1 Peter? How do I behave when I've got a boss that's difficult? Peter told them not to run away. He told them how to respond. Do your job as unto the Lord. And let them see a changed life. It was radical. He says in verse 42, they were together breaking bread and praying. And everyone, verse 43, kept feeling a sense of awe. We just talked about the, and sang about the awe of God. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things common. You know, the church has radically changed. When people get saved, I know when we get saved, we were just committed. We were always a church, a building. We were, we were with the people. We wanted to be with the people. We wanted to do things with the people. We wanted to be around. And not because of rules or regulations. Our lives were changed. 
Today, people want to get to the church as little as possible. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to have time. I haven't got time for the word of God. It doesn't fit my schedule. I haven't got time to serve others. I haven't got time to do this. And that's a reality. And yet they're going through, quote, unquote, Christian baptism. But Christian baptism had a significance back then. And Peter was using it in our passage to say, you have identified with Christ and you are the living testimony and the evidence is your baptism. It's evidence to the world that they can look at and say, didn't you commit yourself to Christ? How come you're not living for him? Their lives were radically changed and they changed the world. I won't go into the rest, you know it. They continued daily breaking bread they were giving praise, and the Lord kept adding the church. Why is it, oh, there's churches that are growing with numbers, and there's a lot of numbers that are real. There's some big churches that are really solid and, and have a lot of solid people, but there's a lot of churches that have numbers, but they're truly not disciples. Many of them are sitting in church and not even saved. There could be people sitting in this church that have been here longer than me. You're still not saved. Oh, you come, it's a club. Maybe you even viewed the baptism that way. That's not the way baptism was to be reviewed, uh, viewed. It was to be viewed as a radical change. Because I've now come to Christ, I'm letting the world know that I am dead to sin and alive unto God. My life is to be lived for Christ, and I want the world to know it. There was nothing hidden about it. If you're here today and you're a professing believer and have not been baptized by water, that should be the first thing that you do. It should be the very next thing on your list to get into baptism class and to be baptized if your profession is genuine. There's no such thing as a believer and then not wanting to be baptized. Now, I do know that there are, just to say it out loud, situations in churches where we're children, we're trying to decide, and sometimes it's on the emotion of the kids. If you remember even the New Testament, if you truly believe, there is, a, there is the evidence of looking for assurance. But there should be a desire to want to be baptized because I belong to Christ. I want the world to know. It's a radical change. That's the significance. And Romans brings it out very clearly. We're alive with Christ. And water baptism is the representation of that to the world. We should be turning the world upside down and they should know that we're a Christian. Baptism is just not a ritual. It brings persecution. It brings an announcement. I know when my wife and I got baptized the same night, and when we were, I get hit with all kinds of questions coming out of Roman Catholic background. Why are you getting baptized? You're baptized when you're a child. Yeah, because then I didn't know. It had nothing to do with me. That was a ritual. Now I know Christ changed my life, and I'm announcing it. And as petrified as I was to stand behind a microphone, and I was at the time, I just got there and I, I, I just felt all I can say is all I know is Christ saved me and now I want to live for him. End of discussion. And I still remember the verse I, I shared. It was from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I don't even know what's going on, but I now have a new life in Christ. And that's what it should mean to you. And if you have been baptized and you are a believer, you ought to go back to that. Maybe you've drifted back into the world too much. Maybe you're not as radical to the world... People don't see your life as being different at all. I'm not saying odd. One of the things that I hope we did in the senior trip, I said it to the parents, and when I prayed before I left, 
I have to wrap this up. And I said it to the children, I wanted to, wherever we put our foot down, wherever we visited, I wanted them to know that we were there and were different. Not odd, but different. And we had people seeing the side of that van, Fellowship Bible Church, Fellowship Christian Academy, and I wanted to have an impact wherever we went. And I think the kids did, even with the families we stayed with. We stayed with some graduates. We stayed with some former teachers. It was wonderful. We should have an impact. So what is Christian baptism all about? Why did he use it? Because we should be the living testimony for Christ. And if you haven't been baptized, you need to be. And if you think that that's what's going to save you, that's not. If you don't know Christ, you need to come to him so your life gets changed, your sins forgiven, so you can live for him. Then you'll want to follow him in baptism. I need to close in prayer. we got some new members that will be coming in as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you and praise you for the word of God. I pray for the believers that are here, first of all, that have been baptized. Help us to reflect back on that. It might be years, long times back, long time ago since we've been baptized. Help us to reflect on what it meant to come to Christ, to know him, and I pray you'd renew a fresh spirit in us, a zeal for the things of God. Help us to be radical in the world in the sense that our lives are changed and people see us living for Christ. If there be any here that profess faith and have not yet been baptized by water, help them to see that you called people to make disciples by baptizing them. And I pray you'd work on their hearts so that they would get baptized, that they would announce to the world that they've come to Christ. Father, if there be any in our midst that have not yet come to Christ, that you'd help them to see that the only way they can be taken out of the bondage of sin is through the payment that was made by Jesus Christ and their faith in him. By faith in Christ alone. And I pray that you'd bring them to that place that they would believe. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At uh, this time, we're going to take a new...